When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, it's Dan and welcome to our Tuesday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. It's the Hey Mary Kay edition. First, we start off with a little bit of news from the day. The first bit of news is Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa and a heart condition that was reported by Adam Schefter. So Mary Kay kind of gives us the latest on that report and you know maybe why he fell to 52 and why the Browns are so comfortable picking him after those, those medicals came out. And then we talk a little Malik McDowell, the Browns signed the defensive tackle. So we discuss that before we get into our listener questions submitted by, of course, our Football Insider subscribers. And if you're not a Football Insider subscriber, all you got to do is go to cleveland.com slash Browns, click the blue banner at the top of the page to get information and get signed up. Hey, let's get to it. This is our Tuesday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk Pod. Here we go on the Hey Mary Kay edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. But before we get to questions, Mary Kay, there is a fair amount of news here on this Monday following the NFL draft. Let's start here. Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa, uh, it was reported that there was a heart issue. You know, we, we talked about this on the Monday pod, if folks listen, right? I asked the question, why did he fall to 52? So I guess we have kind of an idea now of why he fell to 52. Yeah, you know, I've been talking to a a lot of NFL evaluators and different people around the league to sort of piece the story together. I'm still working on it. Let me say that Uh, I I haven't gotten all of the information that I would like to have yet. But uh, what I've heard so far is that some medicals came in very late. It was just a weird year for that. They teams were not having their final medical reports until like a week before the draft. And there were a number of guys that were impacted by this. Now, I will say this, one team that I talked to uh, said that they, they had uh, Jeremiah still very extremely high on their board, still had a first round grade on him, didn't obviously end up uh, taking him there because they had somebody else ranked higher, but uh, they had him ranked very, very high on their board. They really liked him a lot and they think that he's great value and they didn't, they didn't knock him down at all. And I don't even know if they were aware of this report. Uh, I talked to another evaluator uh, that said they were aware that there was some, perhaps some type of potential red flag, uh, but that it also didn't impact him on their board and that, that they felt that if anything, he may have slipped a little bit just because of his size and that, you know, some teams just don't really need a linebacker uh, that, that is smaller like that, almost the size of a safety. So I don't know that, that this potential heart issue uh, really knocked him down too much. I, I did talk to some other NFL so- insiders uh, that said there was some uncertainty. So I think more than anything, there was just an uncertainty. It, it might've been a situation where people said, oh, there might be an issue, but there were incomplete medicals or they didn't have a chance to go back and do another EKG or an echo or whatever they might have needed to do. In terms of the Browns, they 
were completely comfortable with the medicals. They have no problem with him whatsoever, obviously, or they wouldn't have drafted him. Uh, I've talked to other people that, that basically said uh, the same thing, that there was not an issue and that, that he was fine and that teams knew that heading into the draft. So some perhaps conflicting reports. I think there, the fact that he didn't run the 40 on his pro day sent up a, lead, a red flag. But one of the guys that I talked to said that that was bad advice that he got, that he should have gone out and he should have run that 40 because that may have concerned or scared off some people why he did not do that. Obviously, once again, the Browns had no concerns with that whatsoever. They consider him to be a very fast linebacker. He was fast on his tape and, and they, you know, they feel good about him. So like you said, I think, Perhaps this explains why a few teams might have shied away. But again, I have, I've had other teams that said didn't impact us in any way, shape, or form. Okay, the other piece of news today, kind of buried conveniently in the release about the undrafted free agents, is the Browns signed Malik McDowell. He's a defensive tackle, and he's never played in the NFL. He was a second-round pick of the Seahawks, had an ATV accident before his first training camp. Uh, never played for the Seahawks, and then he's had just a slew of legal troubles. The The big thing is some charges that he pleaded guilty to in 2019. Uh, he ended up in jail for uh, – he was sentenced to 11 months in jail, I should say. And he had to write three essays for the judge. Um, so they were, just so we get these out there, uh, assault and resisting arrest. And then he was also uh, – there was also charges of concealing stolen property. So – those are the charges that kind of got him in the most trouble. So Mary Kay, this is a tough one because we just spent the whole weekend listening to the Browns touting their tough, smart, and accountable mantra. And then they kind of snuck this bias a little bit. Now, Andrew Barry did turn around and release a statement, which was certainly the right thing to do. Uh, but, you know, th this is an interesting signing kind of in light of all that. Yes, absolutely 100%. And, and because it, it seems so out of character for, for Andrew Barry to do something like this. But I will say this, uh, in, terms of, in terms of Malik, I think that they really 100% feel like he's gotten himself turned around. Sometimes a player needs to get himself together. And I, you know, I have to look again at, at Andrew's at Andrew's quote, um, but sometimes a player needs to get himself together from, you know, a substance standpoint. And I'm, I'm not going to say that I know for a fact that that is what this issue was, but he does have, I think he had a couple of DUIs somewhere in his past. Yeah. Uh, and, and if that's the case, then he might have had to work on himself from that standpoint. I think there is a comfort level that he did the work that he needed to do to not get DUIs. I'm not going to take somebody's inventory and say they have a drinking problem or they have an alcohol problem or a substance abuse problem, because I don't know for sure if that's the case. But what I do know is the Browns have a comfort level that whatever caused him to get DUIs and to get in legal trouble uh, the way that he did and do some of these things that we have seen him do they feel those problems are behind him and that he's gotten a handle on those problems. So I'm guessing uh, that, that he had to get control of himself in that way. That's just seems like what the deal is here. The, the issue with that is 
uh, as people do know that have problems like these, it's a one day at a time proposition. You've got to keep your, you've got to, you've got to continue to do the work to keep yourself where you need to be. So when you're young, I think that's hard to do. I think it's very, very difficult to do. So if he's going to stay on the straight and narrow, he's going to need to put the work in and he's going to need to put the time in. And I think as the Browns mentioned in their, uh, in their statement, Andrew's quote, uh, they're going to surround him with a support system, just in the same way that they did with like a Kareem Hunt. Now, he is not a what Eric Mangini used to call a green sticker guy, where you just, everything about the guy is right. And usually the Browns go for those kind of guys. But in this case, they're willing to take a chance on a guy that they believe is a good human being that had to wrestle with an issue. And we'll find out how it goes over time. Yeah, this is a culture test, obviously. And, and this is a little different than the, the Kareem Hunt situation, I think, because there's, you know, there's no domestic violence here. There's nothing like that. Obviously, I don't want to downplay what he did either, but that that's at least one element of this. But yeah, I mean, this is going to be a culture test. And again, you know, you've, you, if you're going to preach tough, smart and accountable, you got to make sure you're, you're bringing guys in that are tough, smart and accountable. So we'll see if they can, they can kind of get Malik McDowell uh, in order in that defensive tackle room. Okay. Do we want to get to questions? Yeah. I just wanted to say really quickly, you know, if he does work out, you know, they, they really have a nice thing going now in their tackle room and, you know, with, with Malik Jackson and now, now they got a couple Malik's. Uh, so with Malik Jackson, Malik McDowell, Jordan Elliott, uh, Tommy pronounce Tommy's last name for me. Do you know how? Oh, I'm not the one to ask. <laughs> uh, I, I, I wasn't prepared for that. I got to look it up. Yeah, I think it's, Doug was saying it properly yesterday for us. I think it's Togaya. Anyways, uh, they, they've got some good young talent now in their defensive tackle room if they can, if Malik can get on track and keep himself on track. Okay, so now this brings us to, this is actually a great segue to a question that we had. And that is about Sheldon Richardson. So let me find it here real quick because the Browns obviously drafted the player that we were just talking about. They signed a Florida State defensive tackle. Of course, his name is Marvin Wilson. They just brought in Malik McDowell. Is the door basically closed here on Sheldon Richardson coming back, Mary Kay? You know, I'm going to say no, because I think some of these guys are uh, some of these guys are uh, developmental projects more than anything. So I I'm not going to slam that door shut right now. Uh, I think there still is a chance and an opportunity for him to possibly come back. Now, it's gotten uh, slimmer. It's definitely gotten slimmer with what's happened over the last three days. Uh, Again adding three tackles in the last three days. That's a lot. So I don't know if if there will be room, but I wouldn't completely rule it out at this point. Tommy Togiai. There we go. Togiai. (laughs) I said Togaya. Togiai. All right. Tommy Togiai. We got time to, we got time to get that right. (laughs) Think Toga and then go from there. There we go. All right. Let's get to some more. Hey, Mary Kay questions here. A lot about the draft. Barb from Worcester. Hey, Mary Kay, which 2021 draft pick could have the biggest impact on the Browns? And when do you think we'll begin to see it? 
Well, you know, I think it's, you know, we're going to start right from the top. Greg Newsom, I think that, uh, that he will be groomed to come in and make an impact right away. Now, that doesn't mean he's going to start right away. Even when you go back to Joe Hayden, he did not start for his first four games. I think Greg Newsom will start at some point this season. It might not be week one. Remember, they don't have an offseason, again, uh, to be here in person. Fortunately, they have a rookie minicamp in person coming up on the weekend of the 14th. That will help set the tone. They will be set forward with their marching orders, and they will be able to learn uh, some of the, the defense that they're going to need to play. But then they're going to go off on their own for a while, and I don't know when we're going to see them again. So the learning curve will be very steep. And if Greedy Williams is healthy, he might be ahead. He might be ahead of Greg Newsome. He's a talented player. He did need to step up his game in the second year. They were looking for him to do that. But he has worked so incredibly hard to come back from this shoulder injury. He worked hard in the offseason before that to be a better cornerback. He might end up being ahead of Greg Newsome as they head into the season. It will be a good battle between those two. Okay, another draft question. And this one brings up another one of those defensive tackles. I actually really like this question. Mark from Glenside, Pennsylvania wants to know, Hey, Mary Kay, who will have the biggest impact this year? Curtis Weaver, Marvin Wilson, or Demetric Felton? Wow. That is a good question. That's a really good question. And you know what? We just have to thank our subscribers for all these amazing questions that they give us for so many different things. We ask a lot of them uh, in terms of, polls and questions and they always come through don't they i mean they're just like so cool in that regard and here is a great example this is a really really good question hmm um let's think here well i think that i think wilson is going to make the team he's got a really good chance of making the team they gave him some some nice money which you don't really do that with the undrafted free agents so that sort of says to me they believe that he, that he had a draft grade on. He was probably one of the 114 guys that they felt could be drafted. Uh, so I think he's going to make the team. Curtis Weaver, we don't know what to make yet of Curtis, Curtis Weaver for the people that can't remember who he was. Uh, you know, he was the draft pick of the Miami Dolphins last year and uh, for, out of Boise State. Lots of great sack production, uh, but he spent the year after having foot surgery on injured reserve. So he's coming back to try to prove to the NFL and to the Cleveland Browns that he can rush the passer and contribute in their pass rush rotation. That's an interesting one because they now have Jadavian Clowney. They also now have Tack McKinley. They, they still have Porter Gustin. Uh, but as you mentioned yesterday, maybe Curtis Weaver is their young developmental pass rusher. Hmm. Okay. And then we've got Demetric Felton. I think Demetric Felton is going to make an immediate impact in some way. It might only be on returns and it might only be in some small package of what they do. I think I'm going to say Felton. I think I'm going to say Felton for now. I think that's what I would say too, just because we talked about that defensive line room and how stacked it kind of is right now. And I'm with you on Weaver. There's a chance Weaver could show up and be just a stud from week one, but you know, I think there were some questions about his body. I think there were some questions about his athleticism. And Andrew Barry actually praised him in his pre-draft presser about the work he's put in on his body. So, you know, we'll, we'll see with him. I'm not ready to bank too, too much on him. But I think he'll get some opportunities, much like Porter Gustin did and, and Joe Jackson and, and some of those guys. He'll get some opportunities. But, yeah, I, I'm really intrigued 
by Demetric Felton and, and maybe using him, like you said, in the return game maybe, or using him in, in some gimmicky ways to get him on the field. Okay, we've talked a lot about edge rushers. So here is a question about edge rushers. Hey, Mary Kay, how far into the future do GMs project available draft talent? So they cite a, a podcast where you expressed mild surprise the Browns didn't pursue an edge rusher, but the 2022 draft might be generational in terms of defensive talent. And they cite a bunch of people. I can't certainly speak to whether it's generational or not, but there are some names on here that are certainly impressive. Does that play a role in the strategy that maybe, you know, and, and this was a weird year too, by the way, that's the other part of this. This was a weird year to scout medicals, all that stuff. So could that have played a role in the Browns approach to the edge rush position in the draft? Yes, that always plays a role. They are always looking a couple of years out. And as you know, by now, as we all know, by now, this is a very thorough, very organized personnel department. And so, you know, that they are looking ahead, especially because as you mentioned, this was a weird year. There are plenty of guys in this draft that didn't even play at all in 2020 difficult year to evaluate. And there were a lot of question marks about a lot of those pass rushers. There were plenty of them, but there were a lot of, there was a lot of uncertainty about them. And so many of them had holes in one way or the other. So I would say yes, that they are looking towards 2022 with an eye towards grabbing uh, a really good pass rusher, probably somewhere fairly high in the draft. And if not, they will then also know that they will be able to grab someone again in free agency or hope that TAC works out or something like that. I think they feel pretty good about the number two edge situation moving forward. Okay, let's, uh, let's get to some general questions about the defense here. This one comes from Zach and Charlotte, although who knows, it might be from Scott, who works for Cleveland.com. Hey, Mary Kay, do you think the improved secondary will get the D-line more sacks, or will the improved D-line help the secondary get more interceptions? Well, I, I think it's a two-way street. I, I think it, those two things go hand in hand. And again, when you look at teams – amazing defenses like the Rams number one defense last year that was like hand in glove there right I mean that's why those guys were able to perform like that you get the pressure up front uh you know you hold things off on the back end to allow that to happen and you get that pressure you disrupt the quarterback and then you have him making errant throws that are getting picked off so I think it's going to work like that I think that you know, and it's not just going to be pressure coming from the edges. As we know, they're going to be getting pressure up the middle. So quarterbacks are really going to have a, a devil of a time, I think, with this defense. Not only just the fact that they will get that pressure and there will be great coverage on the back end, but also the fact that it's going to be incredibly difficult to ID who is where. And that is going to be one of the keys to this defense. Who's playing Mike linebacker who's playing safety you know all those things that go through a quarterback's mind in that split second will be very very difficult with this defense I've been calling it the uh find me if you can defense because hey on any given down on, on a third down uh Miles Garrett might decide and he's got some jurisdiction over this that uh that he sees a weak link at guard and he can choose to line up over that guard 
and, and create a mismatch. And there are so many smart players on this defense that I think that, he, that there will be other guys in that situation that can help identify mismatches and, uh, and put themselves into advantageous situations. Okay, we had a bunch of roster questions, and we'll start with this one. Jeff from New York. Hey, Mary Kay, it feels like a pretty complete roster at this point. If you're facing the Browns this year, what are the weaknesses? Well, you know what, (laughs) right? I mean, after this draft, I think the only thing that we were able to nitpick a little bit about when we did our wrap up was we, we thought, well, they still may have left themselves a tiny bit short at cornerback, right? I think uh, some of us thought that maybe another cornerback, two cornerbacks would have come from this draft. So instead, you know, they went with a safety uh, in the late round in, in Richard, how do you say his last name again? I'm Richard LeCount. LeCount, okay. Um, so they went with the safety there instead of uh, finding another cornerback. Uh, so that's just one area that, that you have to think about. But, you know, they, they, they still do have MJ Stewart that can play that nickel for them. So I think they'll be okay. Even if they had to use Troy Hill on the outside uh, along with all the other guys that they have, uh, and then they had to plug MJ in at nickel, they, they should be okay there. And they've got safeties that can, that can play different roles as well. So it should work out fine. That is the only thing I can possibly think of. It's really hard to find the soft spots uh, on the on any on either side of the ball right now. Right. Maybe linebacker because you're so young there, and we don't know exactly right. what Owusu Kormo is going to be. We you know we don't know what kind of progress Jacob Phillips is going to make. It's just stuff like that. But if if Owusu Kormo is a playmaker, even if he's a little out of position here or there, or he does some things that you know aren't awesome all the time, if he can make some plays for some turnovers, get to the quarterback then that, that kind of covers up that weakness. So, yeah, it's really hard to find a weakness on this roster, which is kind of a, a wild thing to say, but good luck. <laughs> good luck opposing coaches. Yeah, I mean, yesterday, last year, last offseason, as we know, they completely focused on the offense. This offseason, they completely focused on the defense to the point where, Dan, I mean, you, I wrote about this. We all know, I mean, they could have nine new starters on their defense, which is I've never been a part of an overhaul like that. That is a massive overhaul. The two guys that we know will be starting are Miles and Denzel Ward. Beyond that, there could be nine new faces in that starting lineup, which is absolutely incredible. So speaking of those nine new faces, Jim in Canfield wants to know, hey, Mary Kay, much has been made the past two seasons about getting guys for Joe Woods defense. Is that too short-sighted coordinators last with teams even shorter than head coaches. If they're great, they become head coaches. If they fail, they get fired. So I guess, I mean, the question is, are the Browns being short-sighted building this thing for Joe Woods vision? I have an answer for this, but I want to hear what you have to say about that. Well, you know, I, I think that first of all, they're drafting a lot of players that are so versatile that they can do so many different things. Uh, so I think they'll, they'll be good in that regard. And then the traits that they are finding in their defensive backs, I think are pretty universal. So I don't think that's an area that they have to worry too much about. Same thing with the defensive line. I mean, you know, their defensive tackles can, can play in any kind of a scheme and the same thing with their ends. The area that I think 
is a little bit unique and different are the linebackers. They're going with the smallish linebacker that so, sort of almost doubles as a safety hybrid linebackers that can cover those tight ends and cover those backs, but they're smaller. So I think that's the only area. If you had to start all over on defense, uh, I think that's the only area where you might, uh, you know, you might have to have a different kind of player there because these are pretty scheme specific. However, I also think that the defense that they're running now, even if Joe Woods left, even if Joe Woods got a promotion or whatever the case may be, I still think that the system is probably going to remain intact and that you would promote somebody else. They've got a lot of great coaches on this defensive staff. I think somebody would step up into his place. I don't envision throwing the scheme out the window. Yeah, and I just wonder how much of this scheme is, I mean, it's Joe Woods' scheme, but I wonder how much of that is like Joe Woods came in and kind of aligned with what they envisioned the defense should look like. You know, a little more, a little more, focus on positionless guys, that three safety hybrid linebacker type of player. If it was just more of a match between front office and, and defensive coordinator. And then also what Kevin Stefanski wants on defense as well. I don't know how married they are to the scheme because of Joe Woods. It might just be Joe Woods fits what they want. And it, it was just a match. Yes. It's probably six of one half a dozen of the other in that regard. It's probably the kind of defense that Kevin Stefanski wanted to run. Uh, it's the kind of defense the Browns wanted to run. And so Joe sort of fit that paradigm. And again, there are enough really good defensive coaches on, on, on his staff that I, I think that they would carry that forward. I mean, you kind of, it is sort of the wave of the future in terms of the kind of linebacker that they're bringing onto the team. I was the one scout that I talked to today said, you know, Jeremiah, I'm just so much easier just to call him Jeremiah. Jeremiah, <laughs> he, he believes, is going to be able to chase down Lamar Jackson. And he said, that's what you have to have in the AFC North. You've got to find guys that can chase down uh, Lamar Jackson. And teams do draft that way. Crazy as it, as it sounds, I heard there was a debate. I, I heard them debating this on, on the radio today. But teams do think that way. You, you've got to... to try to figure out how you're going to win your division. And that of course requires getting past the best teams in your division. Right. And uh, you know, it's not just Lamar Jackson either. It's Pat right. Mahomes, it's Josh Allen, it's every quarterback now. And obviously Lamar Jackson is a different level as far as a runner from those right. guys. But I mean, Justin Herbert can move around and run and, and make plays with his legs. You know, you've got to have, you've got to be able to chase quarterbacks around, but yes, Joe Burrow, Joe Burrow's athletic, not, not, not to the level of Allen Mahomes and Jackson, but he can make plays and, and do damage with his legs. So you've, yeah, you've got to be able to stop those guys. And Lamar Jackson is just a whole nother level and you got to play him twice a year. So you, you should probably have a team that can contain him considering that, that you've got to play him every single year. You don't get any breaks. Well, we'll think about just this year alone, the names that you're mentioning, Dan, just this year alone, they will see Lamar twice. They will see Patrick Mahomes. They will see Kyler Murray, right? I mean, this is just in the regular. They might, they might see Cam Newton. They might see Cam Newton, right? I mean, this is, and this is just in the regular season, as you mentioned, Joe Burrow. So they they'll see him twice. <laughs> yeah, they'll see him twice. 
so, I mean, really the days of a bunch of non-mobile quarterback, I mean, those days are over. Those days are over. Look what Kyle Shanahan just did, right? I mean, that was a referendum on saying, this is where it's going. You know, this is the guy we need to take this football team to the next level. Yeah, I mean, we could sit here and list the guys who are left in the league that are just statues in the pocket, and it wouldn't ta- it wouldn't take us very long to do it. The, the right. league has fully embraced uh, the changing quarterback. Um, you know what what they require quarterbacks to do with their legs. Uh, there were questions about the roster, as you would expect. So I'm going to combine two of them because we got one about the defense and one about the receiving room. Mm-hmm. So Todd and Bay Village said, "Hey Mary Kay, lots of new faces on defense." Who's on the outs? And then we had another question about, here we go. Hey, Mary Kay, who in that receiver room could be on the outs? So let's start on the defense. I mean, who's kind of on the hot seat right now? Well, you know, I, one of the guys that I keep looking at, it, you know, is a guy like Mac Wilson. I mean, they just drafted two weak side linebackers that do everything they want their linebackers to do. And they fit that prototype. Um, now, Mac Wilson, he needed to step up his game last year, and he ended up grading out at 36.4, according to Pro Football Focus, which is very far below a starting grade. A starting grade is a 70, okay? So that he, I think he graded out at 94th amongst linebackers in the NFL. So, you know, he's a hard worker. He's a great guy. He's so enthusiastic. He's all over social media, pumping up the Browns and the fans and He loves being part of this team, but he's going to have to work really, really extra hard to make this football team because of what they have just done at the linebacker position. Now, some of the other guys, I mean, Jacob Phillips is going to make the team. He was just drafted by the Browns last year. When we talk about a Mac Wilson, Mac and Sione Takitaki were not drafted by this group. And that means something because they're drafting, drafting scheme specific, culture specific, and all of that other stuff. Uh, So I think, those are you know, Sione Takitaki, you know, he did really a nice job against the run last year. So I think he has a much better chance to make the football team. Max going to have to try really, really hard. He's just one that comes to mind just in turn because of the grade and, and what they just drafted. I, I think a, a position we should keep an eye on, and there's already been one casualty. There is the defensive tackle room too. I mean, how many defensive tackles are you going to keep on the roster? Right. So I think there's going to be some competition there. And let's say, I mean, let's say Malik McDowell is fine and he makes the team mm-hmm. and he looks really good. And then you've got Malik Jackson and you've got Jordan Elliott drafted last year. You've got Marvin Wilson. Maybe you can put him on the practice squad, but obviously he was a guy a lot of teams wanted. So I don't know that he would be able to clear waivers. So, you know, yeah, they, they signed a guy like Andrew Billings, but now he's got to come in and compete. So I, I think somebody in that defensive tackle room is going to be the odd man out. And it, it could be as simple as like Malik McDowell just shows up and he, he's not ready. Yeah. But I think right. that's another position. Yes. There'll be really, really good competition there. And I've been thinking about Andrew Billings, you know, watching some of his uh, workouts and stuff like that. And uh, you know, he's really, really working hard at this, but once again, he's now he's going to have to come in and prove himself too. And they really, really liked him and he graded out really well the year before when he, when he was with the Bengals before he opted out last year because of COVID, but there is just increased competition inside there. 
and uh, that will be interesting. Now, that person also asked us about the receiver room. Oh, right. Going to be very interesting to see what happens in that receiver room now, because I, I mean, Donovan Peoples-Jones, he's going to make the team. He's, he's going to make the team. He, uh, he showed so much promise last year, and I think he will only be better this year. Uh, I, I think they're going to want to keep Dimitrik on the team, their new rookie. Uh, I, I think they're going to try everything they can to keep him on there and to find things for him to do, including serving as the third running back. So he'll, he'll take up a spot. And then you've got Odell, you've got Jarvis. Uh, so that's four right there. Then you've got Richard. I think Richard is going to Richard. I don't think Richard's in any kind of trouble. So I think they're okay. And then Kaderil. So they, they, that might be it right there. That should be the receiver room. Wait, did you mention Schwartz? Oh, I did not mention Schwartz. Okay. That gets us to six, right? I'm sorry. Yes, yes. I put Demetric in there. Demetric is actually in the running back room. Yeah, the, he might he might end up pushing Dearness Johnson off the roster. Yes, yes. So he's so they the might be able to wiggle him in that way. Right. So get him out of there. I still have him as a receiver in my mind <laughs> in some ways. And I think he can be and will probably sort of be a hybrid. He'll be both, but he counts in the in the running back room. So Schwartz. So yeah. So you've got Odell, Jarvis, Schwartz, Donovan Peoples Jones, Richard Higgins, and Kadero Hutch. Yeah. So it'll kind of come down to which guy they want to keep as a special teamer, right? Like a Kadero Hodge, or maybe they want to keep a Jojo Natson. Although yeah. that would be that would be hard to do if you already have Schwartz on the team. You could use him in a lot of those ways. So it's gonna kind of come down to who the most willing, willing special teams guy is. And, and Hodge certainly would have an edge in that department because he's certainly endeared himself to Mike Prefer over the last couple of years. Right. And, and if you want to keep Jojo and he comes back fine from the ACL, I mean, you could kind of like look at him as a special teamer and, you know, so he, he counts on uh, Mike, Mike Prefer probably gets to pick a couple of guys just for himself. Maybe he's, he's that guy. Yeah. And you know, some of these guys, they are going to be able to get through to the practice squad mm-hmm. and, and hang on to like that. Right. Uh, probably not Schwartz. No. Too high of a pick. I, yep. I think somebody would snag him, especially if, it, if he had a good camp. But that's the roster gymnast. It's a good problem to have, to have yes. like too many guys where we're not talking about sixth and seventh round picks as like saviors of the team all of a sudden. So th- that goes to that question earlier. You know what I think they should do this year, too? While they are uh, working on their collective bargaining and tweaking some things, uh, you know, why not just add, add a couple of spots and add a couple of game day spots and because they have to play 17 games now and that, that means something. So, you know, I, I would just let guys hang on to a few more players, loosen up those rules a little bit like they did last year, a little bit with the IR rules. Um, I mean, one more game is, is significant in terms of health and roster building. Yeah. And I, you know, I've always thought like the whole game day roster thing is kind of, I mean, I get it because you want to have teams have equal numbers in the game, I guess, but at the same time, I don't know. It it almost feels like there's got to be some way to expand that and make it so that you got seven guys on the, I mean, you got six or seven guys on the roster that don't play every week that you just have to make inactive. There's got to be some way to expand that and just allow teams to dress you know, whatever, a, a higher number, or maybe everybody on the active roster or something like that. Right. That's, uh, that's up to JC Treader to figure out. <laughs> exactly. He's, he's an Ivy leaguer. He can, he can do that better than us. 
Okay, I think that's uh, the bulk of our questions here. I know that uh, Mary Kay, I will send these over to you and you'll answer some of them as well mm-hmm. in a Hey Mary Kay column. We got, as usual, a bunch of great questions from our Football Insider subscribers. So if you're not subscribed, and frankly, look, rave reviews this weekend for the, the stuff our Football Insider subscribers got. So if you're not, if you're not subscribed, check it out. Cleveland.com slash Browns. It's the blue banner up at the top of the page to get info and get signed up. Mary Kay, I'll talk to you later. Sounds good.